optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I ask you a personal question? Now what is it in a broken time? What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I get asked all the time what I would take if I could only take one supplement. The answer is invariably Athletic Greens. I view it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I recommended it, in fact, in the 4-Hour Body. This is more than 10 years ago, and I did not get paid to do so. With approximately 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a more nutrient-dense and comprehensive formula on the market. It has multivitamins, multimineral greens complex, probiotics and prebiotics for gut health, an immunity formula, digestive enzymes, adaptogens, and much more. I usually take it once or twice a day just to make sure I've covered my bases if I miss anything I'm not aware of. Of course, I focus on nutrient-dense meals to begin with. That's the basis. But Athletic Greens makes it easy to get a lot of nutrition when whole foods aren't readily available. From travel packets, I always have them in my bag when I'm zipping around. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving my audience a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula, which is a free vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first subscription purchase. Many of us are deficient in vitamin D. I found that true for myself, which is usually produced in our bodies from sun exposure. So adding a vitamin D supplement to your daily routine is a great option for additional immune support. Support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com slash TFS. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash TFS, as in Tim Ferriss show. athleticgreens.com slash TFS. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Why, hello there. Long time no see, literally, in Mandarin, or in Japanese. This is Tim Ferriss. I'm feeling a little lightheaded and a little frisky today. And this episode is not going to be me deconstructing a world-class performer, as I usually do in interview format over two to three hours. This is not that. This is going to be very short, hopefully very, very actionable and practical. I was asked recently how I choose my projects and what I say yes to, what I say no to. And I riffed on this and we recorded it as part of something larger that I'll be sharing in the near future. And I realized that the real question is, (laughs) at the root of a lot of my decisions, how can I waste money to improve my quality of life? And this seems like a bad thing, but it is not. It is trading pennies for dollars. So how can you waste money to improve the quality of your life? Well, I will delve into all of that and much more. This was spontaneous. It's off the cuff, so it is not a TED Talk, but I hope you will get a lot out of it, and I was encouraged to share it because people there at the time felt like folks might like it. So please enjoy 
How to Waste Money to Improve Quality of Life. How do I determine what to delegate versus what to do on my own? This is an ongoing challenge, as it is for a lot of people, but a few of the things that I consider are, first and foremost, do I understand the task and the roles and the actions, to-do lists, checklists involved? And this is going to sound funny, and I don't think this is necessarily the best approach for everyone, but for me, as a type A perfectionist, I like to have a base level of competency in almost anything that I delegate. And I say almost anything because I'm not a coder, for instance, so I don't need to know how to work with uh, CSS or, or anything else to work with a designer, but I do know how to sketch and create mockups or wireframes. Uh, and then the, the, so I can work with those abstraction layers and then the levels below it, the sort of implementation uh, of that, I don't need to understand as well. But in the case of, for instance, podcast editing, I went into a very imperfect tool, GarageBand in this case, and edited the first probably 20 or 30 episodes because I enjoyed learning that as I enjoyed learning new skills. But ultimately, once I understood how to refine the process, then I delegated. So to frame that another way, I think it was Bill Gates who said, and I'm paraphrasing, but this was in the 4-Hour Workweek, that when you add people to an inefficient process, you make things worse. Only when you add people to an efficient process do you make things better. And there's a book called The Mythical Man Month on software design uh, and software development that talks about this, where if you have a late software project because the underlying process has been fucked, if you add more developers to it, you're just going to make things worse. It's just going to take longer. So I like to test drive almost every process myself first before I delegate. I think that most problems with delegation, most things that get missed, most mistakes that get made are the boss's fault, not the, the employee's fault or the contractor's fault. It's because the task itself wasn't clear enough in the beginning. A lot of people delegate because they don't want to do the hard thinking. You have to do the hard thinking. You should delegate because you can give hard work to someone else or time-consuming work. So that's number one. I like to have a base level of competency with all these things. And then how do I choose what to delegate? I will look at my highest yield activities. And the way I will determine that is I will look at, for instance, my to-do list, which is really a list of tasks or next actions of some type. And I'll ask myself, which one of these, if done, will make all of the rest easier to do or irrelevant, right? Because I'm looking for, and I've used this analogy before, the lead domino. I'm looking for the first domino. I don't want to knock down 7,000 different dominoes that are downstream and have to repeat that process. I want to find the one Archimedes lever that, when used effectively, makes everything else either easier to do or irrelevant. And that is what I will focus on, generally speaking. Uh, when in doubt, also, the thing that you've been avoiding the longest is the thing that you should at least do the hard thinking on first. So what is important? Like, how do I know what my most important task is to do before I check email? In the two hours that I've blocked out for that type of deep work, whatever it is that makes you most 
uncomfortable. But I would look at this list, and very often my highest yield activity will be uh, related to one of my more unique abilities. I'm not saying it's it's unique, uh, singular to me, but. For instance, part of the reason that I took, and this is not delegation, this is elimination, so we're getting very four-hour work week here, but right, you have definition, elimination, automation, liberation. Okay, so before I liberate myself by delegating, I want to remove as much as possible. So at one point, about a year ago now, I realized that I was replaceable as an investor in the startup ecosystem. The economics were such that given deal structures and absurd things that were happening and an oversupply of capital, if I was approached by an entrepreneur who's just price shopping for valuation, for instance, and I said no, I would just head out of the line and there'd be 20 behind me to take the deal. And one of my friends said, please don't stop writing. He said to me, you are replaceable as an investor, but I've seen you at conferences where people come up to you and they're crying because they lost 100 pounds and it changed their life or saved their marriages, whatever it might be. You're not going to have that impact. You're not going to see that impact, at least, as an investor. And uh, therefore, I try to focus on my unique or more unique abilities as much as possible, the things that I don't think I can delegate. Uh, and ideally I have a Venn diagram of the things that I am uniquely capable of doing well, or somewhat uniquely capable of doing well, the things that I enjoy doing, that's the second circle, and then the things that give me a high yield. And that could be a yield of capital, financially speaking. It could give me a high yield of time. For instance, if I invest 10 hours now in creating a system and making decisions about X, for instance, not to do startup investing at all, which is what I decided because I don't do moderation well. And you can search startup vacation and Tim Ferriss for a long description of how I did this. I decided, I sat down, I did journaling and came to the conclusion by looking at worst case scenarios. What is the worst that could happen if, how could I get back to this point if I wanted to reverse it, et cetera. Decided to do no startup investing. So I did the hard thinking that eliminated a thousand smaller decisions moving forward. Now I just archive any cold pitch that I get. Any cold intro that I get from, say, a venture capitalist to an entrepreneur gets an autoresponder that says, I'm not doing startup investing. Here's the article if you want to read it. And that is, uh, I think, where people should focus before delegating is eliminating as much as possible. Uh, other things that I think about would be largely questions that I ask. So one of the temptations as an entrepreneur is to look at a task you delegate and say to yourself, this, this is a fallacy. And the internal dialogue will be something along the lines of, well, I could delegate this, but it's going to take me just as long to describe it as it will to just do it myself. So I'll just do it myself. And Here's the miscalculation. The assumption is time is the currency that, you're, that you are protecting in this case. So time is the most valuable currency. And I would say that time, as much as I talk about it, is, is only valuable to the extent that you have attention and present state awareness. So for instance, if I have a three-hour block 
set aside for deep work on writing. And there's a great essay, uh, I think it's called The Manager's Schedule, Maker's Schedule by Paul Graham. Fantastic read, everyone should read it. But in effect, for me to write really effectively, and this is true for a lot of coders also, and musicians, I need, if they're composing, a lot of time set aside because there's just a, there's a very long warm-up process and to synthesize takes space, mentally and otherwise. Yes, I could have time in the middle of that to handle sending, for instance, wire instructions to my bank to get something done instead of having my assistant do it. It might be faster for me to do it. I can do it in 30 seconds. It's going to take me this much time to do blah, 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 blah. But the question is, can I afford the distraction? Right? Even if I have to upset someone, postpone it, talk to them the next day, get it done, pay a late fee, whatever it might be. So the, the question isn't, do I have the time? It's also, can I afford the distraction? Because if in the middle of that three hours, I get a text from my assistants, like, really need help doing this, can you please do Y? Whatever it might be. I don't know why I started with Y instead of X, just to throw you off. And uh, uh, if I address that, ideally I don't even see the text, which is why I put my phone on airplane, but let's just say I see it. If I address that and I take five to 10 minutes to do it, the three hour clock starts over. So maybe I get only 20 minutes of real good writing done in that period as opposed to an hour and a half. Was that worth the interruption? Even though I saved five minutes in the implementation, no, it was a complete loss. It was a total Faustian bargain. Um, so the, the book that I would recommend, and I've said this before to, uh, to at least a handful of people, my favorite book on productivity is called The Effective Executive, terribly bland title by Peter Drucker, The Effective Executive. And uh, the four hour work week, look, I think it's, uh, I'm just sort of assuming that people listening to this have probably already read that. But The Effective Executive is fantastic because it focuses on being effective, doing the right things, not just doing things well being efficient because you can be really good at doing things that don't matter. Uh, and the, the effectiveness part, so in a way, I'm not dodging the question, but I think that the vast majority of people I talk to when they say, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed by X, Y, and Z. I need to hire people A, B, and C to handle it. Those tasks largely shouldn't be done in the first place. When I drill down and we have two glasses of wine and talk about their systems and so on, they haven't done the deep dive to really determine the relative value of all of these things. They're just feeling temporarily overwhelmed and they just want to like hit the volleyball back over the net and not think about it for a while. Uh, so that would be where I would start. And um, the last piece I'll throw out there, and I know this is a meandering answer, is that I've been asking myself more and more, how can I waste money, in air quotes, how can I waste money to improve my quality of life? And like pick a crazy number, right? So if you currently spend, and this is not prudent to do if you are just scraping by and paying for your rent. This is not a place uh, for what I'm going to suggest. But let's just say you've hit a level up in your career and you have a little bit of disposable income your behaviors may be tethered to a very frugal lifestyle that you once had, where your money was a scarcer resource than your time. So for me, you know, I came out of college, my family never made much money, uh, very, very frugal, 
by necessity. Then I get to college, worked as a you know as a bouncer. I worked in a library, and then I figured out some other options that made a bit more money, illustration, etc. Graduate, I'm making forty grand or so a year in Silicon Valley at the peak of ninety nine. Prices are insane, and I found myself even a few years ago realizing, for instance, that. I was blowing hundreds of thousands of dollars of opportunity by flying economy internationally when I needed to sleep. So this is, might sound funny, but I've had the budget to buy business class tickets for a very long time now. But it wasn't until about five years ago, after I went to a speaking engagement in Australia, I flew economy because I was like, what? I'm not going to spend an extra $2,000 on a business class ticket. Couldn't sleep at all and was just a complete disaster for a speaking engagement uh, that could have easily led to uh, many, many future engagements. Now, I did a good job with that. It required a ton of caffeine. It required all-nighters. And my health suffered for about a week. So it's like, okay, was the $2,000 worth sacrificing my health for a week and being at half capacity. No, easily not at all. The value of my time at being at 10 out of 10 is far more valuable than that. Second, was it worth the potential opportunity cost of the people in the audience who could have hired me for very high paying gigs? No, not at all. So I've modified my older behaviors that were survival behaviors to be more abundance mindset behaviors. I can always make more money. I can't create more time. At this point, I can't necessarily fix my health if I ruin it. Right? So the question that I ask now is like, okay, my old self would view buying a business class ticket as a waste of money. What other ways can I waste money to improve my quality of life? Maybe that's hiring someone to clean. Maybe that's taking Uber instead of having a car to deal with for maintenance and insurance and parking and parking tickets and all of that bullshit. Maybe it's, who knows, fill in the blank. So I will do journaling exercises where I'll write down, okay, pick a number. Let's just say that you have, I'm making this up, you have $5,000 of disposable income per month, all right? And I'm putting aside how much you need to save for whatever you want to save for, all right? So if you have college tuition to save for and so on, you need to do those uh, calculations on your own. But let's just say you have 5000 that you can kind of do whatever you want with. And you're currently only spending 500 And you have all of these things that are driving you crazy. All right, well, let's say I wanted to go crazy and spend $2,000 per month. If you wanted to waste, so-called uh, waste, $2,000 a month to improve your quality of life, what would that look like? What are some crazy things that you could do? And just journal. Start making a list. Start writing it out. Don't edit. And... Uh, it's incredible what you will come up with, and you can then test it on a trial basis for a week or two. And that is how I've identified some of the smallest changes with the largest quality of life outputs imaginable by doing this very, very simple exercise. And I, I hate to give so many caveats, but this does not mean that you take your whole life savings and blow it on whiskey and horse, okay? Just so we're clear, that's not what I'm recommending. And uh, it does mean, however, that you don't, when you've reached a certain level in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that you don't make decisions based on a survival mindset that has traveled with you from the sort of shelter food basis, if that makes sense. 
uh, and it's taken me a long time to realize that. But this type of questioning and these types of journaling exercises and overall a focus on effectiveness and not efficiency, I think, are the drivers behind, long story long, how I decide what to do myself or what to delegate. Hey guys, this is Tim again. Just a few more things before you take off. Number one, this is Five Bullet Friday. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you enjoy getting a short email from me every Friday that provides a little morsel of fun before the weekend? And Five Bullet Friday is a very short email where I share the coolest things I've found or that I've been pondering over the week. That could include favorite new albums that I've discovered. It could include gizmos and gadgets and all sorts of weird shit that I've somehow dug up in the uh, the world of the esoteric as I do. It could include favorite articles that I've read and that I've shared with my close friends, for instance. And it's very short. It's just a little tiny bite of goodness before you head off for the weekend. So if you want to receive that, check it out. Just go to fourhourworkweek.com. That's fourhourworkweek.com, all spelled out, and just drop in your email, and you will get the very next one. And if you sign up, I hope you enjoy it.